It is wonderful to look over here and see these young men. Um, I think it's next Sunday night that they're going to be preaching to us from the book of James. Hiram has been walking them through the book of James, and I look forward to what they have to say to us. It's not all the preachers. There's some others uh, in the auditorium, but we'll be up here uh, next Sunday night. I want to commend you for your being here. Um, there are a lot of congregations that... Because of the weather, have not been able to meet, and you have not only many of you come once, but come back out again, and you're to be commended uh, for that. It was 1980, and I was a fifth grader, and my dad started something with me that I still cherish even to this day, and that's Georgia Bulldogs football. And as we sat together, he instilled in me a passion, and he raised an interest with me as he and I sat back in those days and listened to the games on the radio. And I still have that interest today, and I give credit to two people. One is my dad, and the other is an upper-middle-aged radio announcer by the name of Larry Munson. Now, Larry Munson is not even from the South. He was raised in snowy Minnesota, but you would think that he was born and raised in Georgia, and that he had never lived anywhere else and knew nothing else except of Athens, Georgia. He, uh, his passion, his enthusiasm was so much that it had infected you with a similar feeling, and you were just going right along with him in his excitement. And even though he has been dead for more than a decade, he's still a big reason for the fan that I am. And my dad is also a reason for the fan that I am. My dad taught me a lot about being a fan. He taught me how that you would just constantly be anxious and you would pace the floor and that you would always, your thoughts would go to the negative and when it looked like that victory was dissipating to defeat, especially from that team in Tuscaloosa, it was just time to just go. You know, my dad has given me such an interest in that that I continue that to this day. I, I'm never going to miss going to a game. I go to as many games in person as I can. I got a lot of apparel with the logo UGA on that. And there's even bumper stickers on my trunk. As I think about the interest that my dad left with me in that, I'm grateful that my dad had a far greater impression that he made on me and on my siblings. My dad went to Freed Hardeman College in 1962. He enrolled as a Bible major and he met my wife and after her freshman year they married. And since 1964 my dad has preached the greatest news that has ever been told from West Virginia to Mississippi but mostly in between in his home state of Georgia. As I think about the passion and the spirit that he had for evangelism and for teaching and preaching the word, it was a part of who we are. It is a passion that has been a part of him for nearly 80 years of his life. I don't ever recall him overtly saying to my brother and me that I would like for you to be preachers, but both he and I have done that our adult lives. He lived out every day the principles that he preached and that he taught on Sundays and Wednesdays and in gospel meetings and in home Bible studies. They didn't live it perfectly, but they lived it consistently. They encouraged us to internalize the principles that we got when we went to church. And it was formidable in our lives and in our faith. You know, I've thought about that as I look at my dad, who I'm thankful is still with us. And I look at my three grown sons. I didn't know when I was preaching this that two of them were going to be here tonight. But as I think about that, 
my desire every day is that the guidance and the instruction that first lived in me from my dad is something that I've been able to try to pass along to them. And I want to see them pass along to their children. I think about that in light of the letter that we have in our Bible that's 3 John. And I wonder how John must have felt as he approached and addressed the one that he calls his son in the faith, Gaius. And something that he says at the beginning of that letter, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. As he looks at Gaius as his spiritual son of the faith, I think about a principle that's found in that verse that can help us as we look into the lives of our literal children and our literal grandchildren. A principle that should live in our lives that will help us to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they are old, they will not turn or depart from it. Proverbs 22 and verse 6. That can be helpful in our upbringing of training and instructing them in the ways of the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. I'd like for us very briefly to walk through 3 John. And as we do so, I'd like us to see three principles that can help us in impacting our homes. The first thing I'd like you to notice with me is that our kids know something captures our greatest joy. John emphasizes what it is with Gaius that he would know without any doubt at all what meant the most to him and what captured his greatest joy. I don't know how many of you are on social media, but at the end of the game last Monday night, I understand that Kathy posted a video of Dale and I celebrating that game. It was obvious. Some people said in the comments how happy we were over the result of that game. But you know, that game is far less important than a great many other things. When we talk about what means the most in our lives... If I were to ask you or if somebody were to ask you, what's the most important thing to you? What captures your greatest joy? Instead of answering that, ask the people around you in your life. Our children need to see what really captures our thrill and joy. What captures our thrill and joy ought to be when they see us talking about spiritual things. When we're talking to other people in our conversations throughout the week, that we have a zeal about those spiritual things. It ought to be that our our children see us having a thrill and a joy over the opportunity to serve the lost and those that are poor and those that are a part of the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to your flesh, but by love serve one another. Our children ought to see a thrill and a delight in us as we're studying God's Word and we find some great treasure and truth in the process of going and digging into God's Word. When David talks about the blessed person in the very beginning of the book of Psalms, he says his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night, Psalm chapter 1 and verse 2. Our children ought to see zeal and delight in us when we are praying as we lead them in praying out loud. There ought to be a zeal and thrill and a passion that's evident in us when it's time for us to go to the assemblies. As we approach the the drive every time, it ought to be expressed in our demeanor. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, Psalm 122 and verse 1. The thing is, with regard to what delights us, it's not the thing that we do simply out of duty. It's the thing that we do with great enthusiasm and joy. It shows in our facial expressions. It can be seen in the twinkle in our eye and the smile on our face. It can be heard in our tone of voice. 
It can be seen in our body language. And it can be heard in our actual words. You know, I think about some of the joy passages that we read in the New Testament. When you think about all the saints that were present in Iconium, in Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, I imagine that some of them had children who saw these saints who were filled with joy. What about Paul, his son in the faith? He knew that spiritual things are what filled him with joy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. And David shares with us the fact that the one who is the righteous person is the one who is full of delight in the presence of God. Psalm chapter 16 and verse 11. As we look and see John as he speaks to Gaius, we can see an obvious delight. He expressly tells us, moved by the Holy Spirit, that this is what gives me the greatest joy, these spiritual things. It's a challenge to each of us. You know it's a challenge to us, whether we're married, whether we have children, whether that's even in the prospects for us. That this same indication ought to be present. That there is nothing that brings us greater joy than the things that last past this life and that point us toward heaven. The second thing that we notice is that our kids know what we are paying the most attention to. You know, there are some people in our lives that just demand our attention. There are some people you cannot afford not to listen to. You know, if the boss has something that he wants you to do, then you need to be locked in and loaded and listening to what he has to say. There are some people who, because of their position, demand that we ought to pay attention to them. But it is a truth that sometimes we have a hard time paying attention in our homes. Well, that things distract us. I don't suppose that there's anyone who had any amount of time with children in their home they did not have moments of regret because they were not paying attention. And there's something that's different between the extraordinary and the usual. One is excusable, the other is inexcusable. But John tells Gaius that he had a great joy to hear that his children were walking in the truth. That word that is uh, the word hear there, which means to pay attention with the ability to respond and act to, is a word that's found throughout our New Testament. It's found 430 times. There's an indication there that we are listening and we're not allowing other things to distract us and keeping us from hearing what it is that we need to hear. And so I'm going to have my ears open. I'm going to pay attention because I realize how important it is. As children are growing up, there are going to be times when they have questions about life and about God. There are going to be moments when there is doubt and there's concern about the reality of God and is the Bible the Word of God? And is the Christian life the way that I ought to live? When I'm grown, is this the way that I ought to continue to go? And what about the different messages that I'm hearing in the world that is contrasted with what the Bible has to say? You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that passage that we looked at not long ago, there's an idea of teaching and talking with our children about God's character and God's commands. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them unto your children, and you shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. He's not saying to preach and to lecture to them. He's talking about the give and take of communication that happens in our talking. Our children are going to have moments where they're asking questions. 
If we want our children to talk to us when they're adults, then we need to listen to them when they're children. They need the guidance that only we can give them. You know, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 20 doesn't tell us all the ways that we might discourage our children. But to, to be ignored is to feel unloved. John speaks to Gaius. And as he's trying to give him a a focus and an emphasis that is this entire letter, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We need to have our ear to the ground. We need to be talking with our children and finding out where they are in their faith. But then third, our kids know what we most value. What John says here is, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And the word walk, as it's used in the Bible, is talking about a lifestyle or a practice of life. And you'll find this a favorite expression of John's. And he'll use it throughout the book. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6, he says that the one, if we say that we're walking in uh, with, in fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And then in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, if we say that we abide in Him, we ought to walk even as He Himself has walked. In 1 John 2, verse 10 and verse 11, the one who walks in the light is the one who is free from offense. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and he stumbles because he cannot see the light. In 2 John and verse 4, John says, I have great joy to hear of some of my children that they're walking in the truth. What John is saying is, is that we can observe the manner of life. And in looking at the walk... It tells everyone what we value the most. You know, we are all walking in one direction or another. We're walking on one of two roads. And John is making that point. And and when you find this word walk in 3 John, it is tied to what one does. If you look at the rest of 3 John, you'll notice this. Here is what John says to Gaius in verse 5 through 8. He says that you are known For what you do and what you do to strangers and into the brethren in verse 5 through verse 8. He says in verse 11 that how do you know that you're doing what's right? You do what is good and you're not imitators of that which is evil. In verse uh, 12 he talks about Demetrius, his fellow brother. And what he says about him is that he is one who is uh, known for his deeds of righteousness. But in verse 10, Diotrephes, who we read about just a moment ago, you look at what he does. Those prating words of wickedness or maliciousness against the brethren. What John is saying to us as we walk through the book of 3 John is that how you walk or in your walk, you show what it is that you value the most and what you do. Here's a challenge that faces us frequently. If our children were to stumble into our financial records, and they saw what we give to the Lord, how would that compare with what it is that we spend for leisure and for vacation and things of that nature? When it comes to what it is that captures our attention, how often do they see us reading our Bible? How often do we engage them in discussion of religious things? How often have they stumbled into our presence and have seen us praying? By contrast, how often have they seen us on our social media platform or engaged in something that 
is of a similar nature. Or what about as it regards the things that uh, are important to us, things that we won't miss, the things that we make sure that we always do when it comes to our job or occupation? Are we always, no matter what, trying to show them a great principle that you're going to put your nose to the grindstone and you're going to work? Do we have the similar kind of approach when it comes to the assemblies? But then we think about the idea of what we're pushing them to achieve to do. Do we push them to achieve academics and athletics and to honor their commitment to their after-school activities? And what about on Sunday and Wednesday? Are we making sure that they're prepared to come into Bible class for their Bible lessons? You see, we demonstrate day after day. And I think about John. John sat at the feet of Jesus. He heard the greatest sermon ever preached. And in that sermon, Jesus said in his hearing, in John, uh, Matthew 6 and verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And in that very context, he is talking about the choice that we have, the two uh, principles. The principle is there's a master, and you're going to serve one or the other. In context, it's God and money, but the principle is God and any rival. And the frustrating thing for me is it's not what I say that it is. It's what my life shows that it is. And so as we approach this vital and fast-moving opportunity, we realize that we're demonstrating what it is that we value the most. You know, somebody wrote me, I know in jest, on Monday night, and they said, hey, brother, can you talk with me for several minutes about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? There was a game going on, Georgia and Alabama, and I said, yeah, give me just a few minutes. You know, nobody had to, to guess where I was. Do you, you want to know if I'm a fan or not? Just walk into my office, and you'll see the memorabilia that's around. If you want to know how much I care about Georgia Bulldog football, you know where I'm going to be on game day. If it's morning, if it's afternoon, or if it's evening. I have stats, I have trivia, I have facts about the Georgia Bulldogs that I can share with you, and people who know me know that. It's important, but it must not be the most important thing. When I think about the life that God has given to me and the influence that I have, He wants me to value the kingdom first. He wants us to do that. And as it comes to our our families, there's a principle that Brother Wendell Winkler used to share with us as preachers in The Preacher and His Work. He would take a passage out of Matthew chapter 16 and he would adopt it to what we were going to be one day as fathers and as husbands. He said, I know what Jesus says, but I believe this principle applies. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own family? Or what will a man give in exchange for his family? I can tell you tonight with two of them sitting in the room, I wished I had done a much better job than I did. You know, God gives us that one opportunity to impress and shape our family's lives. John is giving us a priority checkup. And the good thing is, is that God gives us grace. He gives us the opportunity to work through that day after day and week after week. God wants us to be faithful members of his family. He's done everything possible to make that a reality for us. He gave his only son so that we could spend our eternity in heaven with Him. It's a goal that we have for ourselves. It's a goal that we have for our families. 
Tonight it may be that there's someone here who needs to respond to heaven's invitation. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you need to be rededicated to Christ, that you need to put Him first again in your life. We would love to encourage you in any way in that as you make response. It could be that you're ready to become a child of God, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If this is your invitation, we would encourage you to come. Right now, as together we stand and sing.